61 District 6, stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Sevalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, this is it. It's that time of the week to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Sevalero, and with us always is that guy fresh, fresh recharged from the NRA conference, the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm fine, man. How was uh, how was the uh, Nashville NRA conference? Good. You uh, get to see Uncle I like Ted. It. I like it. It was uh, we had seventy thousand uh, gun nuts descend upon Nashville, and uh, got to uh, got to hear some some good speakers. Listen, uh, see a lot of uh, really cool guns, and uh, and uh, had a blast, man. I gotta think when the NRA conference is in town, that's got to be the safest town in America. It is, and and invariably the staff and uh, and security at these venues, the police officers and the uh, the conference center staff will will invariably say these are this is the nicest, most polite crowd of people that they've ever dealt with, uh, and that's that's usually the feedback we get from every place that we have been in in the years that I've been going to the NRA annual meeting. Yeah, you mentioned that last year as well when we did this. And, you know, I guess that that just takes away that stigma, you know, that here is a bunch of card-carrying people who are protecting the their their amendment to uh, uh, to bear arms. And I don't know what people would expect. I mean, what would they expect, that there's just going to be a gun rally of, uh, you know, shots being fired in the air and, uh, you know, people being pistol-whipped on, uh, you know, on the corners of each city or anything? You know, I mean, it's just well, a crazy you- thought. If you talk to uh, anti-gun advocates, you know they'd they'd have you believe that there will be blood on the streets, uh, and uh, the gutters will be awash in blood with that much with that that many guns uh, crowded into close proximity to one another. But uh, that is apparently not the case. It was wall-to-wall people, and and uh, very hard to get through the uh, exhibit hall venue for most of the three days I was there. And people were unfailingly polite, and oddly enough, no one shot. Them. Uh, another human being so awesome. um <laughs> well you are my hero kelly grayson for a lot more reasons than just ems so hey you know there's a couple things i want to talk about before yeah. we get going here so you know y- you and i i think we're very uh, honored when we hear from our our fans and, and the different things the, that they send us and you know suggestions and comments and so on well you know we got one again and and last week you and i talked about how volunteerism uh, and people are having challenges getting EMTs and paramedics in, and we're constantly hearing about you know places in dire need of staff and places shutting down. And you know, in the news this week, there's a, a, a organization in New York that's going to stop doing ALS you know service now, and so on and so forth. So we get a question that I think I want to chat about. So we were talking about not being able to staff volunteers, not being able to staff you know EMTs, paramedics. So the question is. Is EMS an industry requiring too much in terms of initial training and continuing education to attract volunteers? Now, I know this is a top, uh, a hot button for you, and, and we've talked about this before that, you know, there should be no difference in standards mm-hmm. between, but when we think about first responders, when we think about 
EMTs, when we think about fire pumpers, when we think about is there really a difference in a volunteer who just gets there and, and helps maintain or, or just goes ahead and, you know, I, I really don't know because I think there's different levels of volunteerism. There's volunteer first responders. There's volunteers that are on scene until the, until the pumpers get there, until the transport gets there. So let's go ahead and take on this question. This comes from Wade Johnson, and I knew Wade back in the old days at MedStar. Always great. Thank you very much, Wade, for sending a question. But, Kelly, let me go ahead and throw that to you first. What do you think? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that, that the problem is lack of volunteers. I think the problem is, is more we, we keep doing the, the same old things, uh, expecting a different result. And our recruitment and retention efforts that have worked for us in years past are no longer going to be sufficient. We're, we're seeking out the wrong people, and we're trying to attract them in the wrong ways. And, and we need to change that, or we're going to continue to find, uh, we're going to continue to lack to find, uh, lack uh, volunteers to, to staff our units. Uh, and there are a number of other uh, resources and avenues we can explore. There are management service organizations in those areas where the volunteer agencies are uh, are funded, at least in part, by the town, and, and they are reimbursed for transport by by Medicare and private insurance and such. But I think we're just looking in the wrong place. You know, I, I used to think that the volunteerism was uh, was. Uh, we were hearing its death knell, uh, but I'm dating a, a volunteer EMS expert, and, and she's she's changing my mind in that regard. Yeah, we really need to get her on. I think she's yeah, she's probably gonna, the expert right now. That. that, but but let me ask you this, Kelly, and I think you bring up a good point. But I think to Wade's question, you know, he's not talking about lack of volunteers. Uh, he's talking about are we putting too much educational restraints? Not at all. Well, how do you justify that? Because think about what I said earlier. What does a volunteer really need to know to get a person from point A to point B? You know, does he need how to work an AD? Does he need how to put an oxygen mask on? I mean, do they have to be trained to the level of an EMT to be efficient to get people from point A to point B? Well, if, if you're talking about simply a driver of the, of the uh, ambulance... No, I, I don't think so. And Illinois has something along those those lines. They have ambulance an, an ambulance driver designation in their volunteer rescue squads, and and they they have just a little bit more than advanced first aid training uh, and a driver certification. But I, I reject vehemently the idea that there needs to be lesser educational standards for volunteer EMTs. It's not a good way to go. Ask anyone in New Jersey who is familiar with, with how the New Jersey State First Aid Council has, has held back uh, EMS progression in that state. Well, what is well, that? Can you? I, I'm not familiar with that. Can you give me well, a little they're, bit? Well, they're firmly rooted in the in the 1980s and. Re- and resist any any measure to uh, advance EMS educational standards, uh, accountability, background checks, you name it. And they're a very powerful lobby. They've managed to get some a number of EMS legislative pieces that were designed to to modernize and and, uh, and advance uh, EMS education and and standards in that state. They've managed to get them vetoed or just shot down entirely. And and people in new jersey will will tell you that you know the uh state first aid council is uh is uh holding their profession back in that regard. i just don't think that we need to even travel down that road thinking that that ems should have different standards whether you are paid or not professionalism doesn't come with a paycheck plain and simple you can be a you can be a volunteer and be a professional without getting paid for it 
but you need to meet the same standards everyone else is. What we need to do is recruit people who can meet those standards, and we're going about it the wrong way. Let me ask you this, Chris. When, when you think of volunteerism uh, or volunteer recruitment efforts, what kind of people are you targeting? Volunteer recruitment efforts? You know, that's a really good question. I've not really been in that position as I've always been involved with paid. Uh, well, well, where would you go just, just off the top of your head? Where, where would you focus your recruitment efforts first? I would think that if I was going to be effective in getting folks, I would look for the people who were already entrenched in careers that wanted a little okay. bit of excitement. Yeah, that's an excellent idea, and that's the way we need to do it. But the problem is, is we, you know, we go to high schools, we go to, we, we put out a, a sign out front that's saying, you know, want to be an EMT? Call us at this number, and that's the extent of our recruitment efforts. The problem is, is we, we recruit these young people, or we offer free EMT classes uh, in returns for volunteerism, and, and get these, these young kids in there, and they need to earn a paycheck. Sure. They need to start a career. They don't have the time to volunteer. Kelly, what about a special volunteer certification? Instead of instead of them having an EMT certification, having a volunteer certification. I mean, let me ask you this. I, I just said it. You know, I'm going to target some of the professionals who are, and, and, you know, then you run into this problem with this deputy officer in uh, uh, wherever it was where he, you know, fired his weapon uh, instead of firing the taser. So, you know, these are the type of people. That, yeah, exactly. So, But let me ask you, I mean, do we need to think about having a volunteer certification instead of making them EMT certification? And, and what would this volunteer certification entail? What what would be their qualifications? Well, I don't know that we hash it out right here, but I mean, think, <laughs> but let me ask you this, though. I mean, if you and I were to sit down and write a curriculum, what would it look like? Would it look like CPR? Yeah, or, or would you even think about it this way? What would they need to know? I, I mean, here it is. You live you live in an area where uh, it, it takes you uh, six hours to get anywhere, right? I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, and it takes you yeah. a bit to get out of where you live to, to you mm -hmm. know, to civilization, let's say. Now, I could see where, you know, something, God forbid, happens at home. You need to get a rescue out there. You want somebody who's going to be able to deliver care that's going to be able to get somebody to definitive care. But what if those people aren't available? I would rather have somebody take me to the hospital or take my spouse to the hospital than her lay on the floor because nobody was available. Yeah, uh, you know. So what? I mean, what would they, what would they well, have to do? And I, I know this is not what we maybe well, maybe well, you and I sit down and we brainstorm, and, and for an, for another show we, we talk about what a volunteer certification would look well, like. How about that? Maybe so, maybe right. so. But what I think we need to do is is do exactly what you said. We look for people who are already entrenched in their careers or retirees. You, you know, you don't normally start looking at for for workforce help uh, in, amongst your retirees unless you're Walmart or uh, Shoney's uh, waitress. Um, hey, I love Shoney's, man. You you back <laughs> off there, you know. But here's you know I'm you with know. you because one of the things that I think we're doing is to take somebody out of high school and and make them an EMT for nine dollars an hour. We've now set them on a course for X amount of years that have made them exactly poor. What you, what you need to do is you need to seek out those people, retirees, stay-at-home moms, uh, housewives who have, you know, have child care issues already, already handled, people that are just looking for some way to give back to their community, and they're out there. I believe that they're out there. Volunteerism in the United States has never been as high as it is. The question is, is why isn't EMS able to cash in on that community spirit? 
Sure. Uh, I think one thing is is we're we're looking for the wrong people. We need to we need to target older people and people who have have kind of attained that that self actualization part of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. You right. know, we're we're still looking for people at the bottom end of the scale who are trying to to uh, um, still take care of food and shelter. Uh, we should <laughs> we be we people. should be passing out some of those volunteer applications at the NRA conference. No, yeah, but, we, but anyway, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. Get, yeah, we need people at the at the upper end of the scale, and we yeah. need to stop playing up the whole life saving, emo, uh, uh, exactly. adrenaline aspect yeah. of it. Say, look, you know, can you hold a hand? Can you pass a hundred and fifty hour course right. that requires you to do X amount of things? And can you keep it together for the ten minutes that it will take to get someone stabilized and 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 on the way to the hospital and and downplay. Right. Uh, we need to start recruiting caregivers instead of adrenaline junkies. I and agree that with is you 100%. To, that is going to get our, our older, uh, more settled people into uh, into the volunteer fold. I think that that's a niche we need to exploit, and we're, we're doing a darn poor job of it. I agree. So, I mean, I appreciate it. We spent a lot of time on the question, Wade, so thank you very much for sending it. Maybe we need to come up with a question of the week and, and throw that into our, our segments. Yeah, let's and uh, Let's go ahead and talk about in the news. And one of the things that I wanted to touch on before we got into these, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on it, was EMS1 did a survey you know what's your go-to song you know so what music do you listen to on your way to a call and i found this very very interesting and some of the things that people were saying and you know there are people who are saying they don't listen to songs there are people who say you know they listen and i gotta tell you i was the kind of guy where i knew where we were going mm-hmm. and uh i listened to the music man and i kind of got a little bit of the pump going as i was driving mm-hmm. and uh you know so some of the things that were on uh, ems1 that people put down of course that were really good uh, let the bodies hit the floor. ACDC's yeah, Highway to Hell, Danger Zone. Uh, one guy here put, uh, I thought was very funny, was the Facts of Life theme song that comes from <laughs> Matt, that comes from uh, Matthew take Zinzer. The, uh, the, I know, right? I mean, that kind of gets your heart. Sesame Street, Sunny <laughs> oh. Days, Sunny <laughs> Day, right? I mean, there you go. Yep. But, but let me ask you. I mean, do you have? I mean, what's your thought about that? I do you have a song? I can't believe no one chose I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Oh, it's right here. Chris Bain. Chris Bain did it. I Can't Drive 55. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a a number of what's the, uh, um, I don't, you know, I've got my driving music that I like. Uh, Believe it or not, I I like Katrina and the Waves, (laughs) Walking on Sunshine. Do you really? Yes, I do. You are just (laughs) such a dork. But uh, there's um, a lot of good ones, man. Crazy train, uh, crazy train. Another one bites uh, the dust. How about that one, man? That's a good uh, one. I like I like Urgent by by Farner. By Farner, there's, that's right. There's another ones out there. If I Die Tomorrow uh, by Motley Crue. Mike Ellis was all over this post, man. He's oh, talking about uh, Move, bitch, get out the way. My ludicrous is. Uh, that's is, right. It's perfect. I've probably sang that one many a time. Uh, I like um, I like funk. You know, I like funk. Uh, you really? uh, Stevie Wonder Superstitious is, is pretty awesome. Um, here's one here that says yeah. it's raining men. So that's, I don't yeah. know how that one fits in, but here's one of my favorites. Boingo Boingo's Dead Man Party. That's a good song going back to the 80s, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got a, uh, musically, I'm pretty much down with anything that has a beat, as long as it's not thrash metal or or gangster rap uh i'm just i'm too old for that i can't yeah. i can't deal with it but uh i can listen to, um, i can listen to those things the the one that gets me is i can't listen to country music i, I like country uh, music. of course you do of course of course you do yeah that's that's like saying you know i, I like air what are you kidding me 
it's not really country music anymore. It's 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 pop with a steel guitar. <laughs> and really? it sucks. It, I mean, I got to tell you, man, growing up, uh, you know, when I married my wife, Lee, she had two daughters and and uh, they were country. And I, I, I forbid country to be played in the house. I mean, I ripped a knob off my radio in the there, car so that station wouldn't come up. There is one country song that would probably fit here, even though with the caveat that it's not a country song, really. It's it's bro country, which is... Uh, which is a, a, a bastardization of what country music's all about, and that's um, "Cruise" by Florida Georgia Line. That's a pretty good song. Yeah, um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. As long as, as long as you don't go calling it country, because it ain't country. Another one bites the dust. That's there. What about "Stairway to Heaven"? How about that? <laughs> no, I don't think. <laughs> Come so. on. I'll tell you what. Another Queen one. Um, Fat Bottom Girls. Really? What would that? Fat Bottom Girls. It makes the rock and world go round, though, doesn't it? That's right. But if Fat Bottom Girls make the rock and world go round, why is it that a a big leg girl ain't got a big leg woman ain't got no soul? Oh, that's a good point. Was Queen or was was uh, Led Zeppelin right? I don't know. It's a good point. Something to ponder. So anyway, let's go ahead and do some news, man. You got a first story for us? Yeah, you know, in in keeping with uh, with our callers' uh, uh, um, question. Pennsylvania Volunteer Ambulance Service shut down just recently in Bethlehem. Volunteer, private volunteer agency announced it's going to shut down due to lack of volunteers. They've dwindled from uh, 20 down to 2 at Metro Ambulance Service Incorporated. And uh, Chief Eugene Brown said it's just they can't man the units. It's the same story we've been talking about. It is a shame. You would think that in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, you could find enough people to to man an ambulance among uh, I don't know how large Bethlehem is, but you'd think you'd have you could find enough people, but apparently they can't. You know, and and that's that's a story all over the country. Sure. Change change the way we do things. Got to figure out a different way to do it. It's not what we're doing now is not working. And and jumping on that, we talked about it just a bit ago. New York Department ending ALS Rescue Service and its Middleport Fire Company out there in Lockport, New York. Basically, they're shutting down their volunteer company for ALS service because they can't get people in. And and again, I think we touched on this uh, earlier with our discussion about the education. But you know, is it is it now the death of volunteerism in, in EMS, or is it that we even uh, you know worry about trying to bring it back? And and there's a question for you guys out there on EMS One. You know, and maybe we make this part of our quick clip for you guys to comment on is, is volunteerism and EMS dead? Should we move on from it? Or should we do the best we can to do uh, CPR on our volunteerism and bring it back to life? You know, what do you think? Go ahead and give us your comments and uh, be interested to uh, know what everybody hears. Kelly, my story is going to go to a new drug in town. We go down to Palm Beach, Florida. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just reading about this now. Do you have a little bit more knowledge about it than I do? I have. I have. No, our, we're we're still we're in the the soma capital of the world here. It's a uh, uh, soma Xanax and and uh, Flexeril. That's our our drug abuse drugs of choice. I, I don't know much about Flocka. Well, basically, in, in the article, and this comes out of uh, Palm Beach, Florida. New drug Flocka hits Florida County. Flocka is cheap. It's potent. It's been described as the next generation of synthetic drug, and it's been linked to a string of bizarre and sometimes violent incidents. Uh, basically, it's a bath salts, and it has a little bit of, uh, I guess, mimics uh, ecstasy. And I got to tell you, man, this this designer drug, this synthetic drug, is becoming a billion dollar business because what they're doing is is they're taking the narcotic. And they're changing the molecule. Yeah. They're, they're putting a molecule in there or, or taking a molecule out 
that has no effect on the uh, the feel of the drug, uh-huh. and they're able to sell this legally. And this is something we really got to be concerned with. I mean, there are yep. places in Europe that this is perfectly legal, and, and people, everybody's doing it. Yep, that's that's the and that's the whole point of designer drugs. They they're they're designed to do exactly that, get you the same high, the same effects as a previously banned drug. They're just a, a, a slightly different molecular structure, and and people tailor these these drugs and try to stay one one step of bans and, and regulations on them. Flock is just the newest one. You know, uh, you had bath salts, you had you had ecstasy. I mean, uh, ecstasy and MDMA and, and some of the other designer drugs came about from from that very from that very uh, source. You know, coming trying to come up with something that could uh, produce a, a high, but still be legal. And you know, it's kind of like the the age old battle between armor and projectile. You know, each side tries to leap ahead. Um, but uh, apparently, flock us some pretty bad stuff. It's um, you know got characteristics of most of your your stimulants, and and in some cases they were saying it's adulterated. Uh, it's got combinations of cocaine, meth, and heroin in it. Craziness, you know, just craziness, yeah, man. One of the that's one of the freaky things about dealing with with you know MDMA slash ecstasy overdoses. You never know when they're going to be a raving uh, uh, lunatic. You know, Lunatic, yeah, yeah, or or be somnolent and, and need airway support, and they just go from one to the other extreme with very little warning. Uh, it's hard to to, to stay ahead of them uh, on the treatment curve. Right. Um, but this is just another one of the things, you know. And I'm I suppose we're I'm going to have to to deal with it. I, I work in a college town, you know, and we have we have these kids that that uh, I've worked my share of bath salts cases. Yeah, I mean it's uh, crazy. These kids, these kids are crazy, man. Oh yeah. And it's just anything. Uh, I, you know, in my day, we just got drunk. That's right. You we know, were passing we around the weed. We just got drunk. You know, we didn't do all this nebulized vodka and red wine enemas and vodka soaked. That's right. We were passing we around a passing around a paper bag with model glue in it. That's right. We just, you know, we 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 drank our Mad Dog Twenty Twenty and our cheap beer, and by God, we were grateful. Manischewitz, <laughs> you know. One of the things that I, I find interesting. <laughs> yeah, you never had Manish Evans? It's no, like Mad Dog 2020, man. MD 2020. Wild Irish Rose? How about that? Yeah, Wild Irish Rose. Boone's Farm. That's Boone's right. Farm was Boone's Farm thing, is. You know? That's the Academy Award, I think. But anyway. Yeah, find a redneck girl in a bottle of Boone's Farm, tell her you love her. Mm. It's amazing, though, how <laughs> over the years, the younger generation. I can't believe I'm saying this. I should turn around and look for my dad, but. The, the younger generation has found different ways to uh, get high. You know, yeah. I once picked up a kid in the back of an apartment complex who was huffing the Freon out of a central mm-hmm. air conditioner unit. Yeah. Where, where do you even think of that? Where do you come up with that? I, I have no idea. You know, so. and it's... Uh, I guess it's a sign that we're, we've are we gotten old when we can't fathom... What That's right. We can't hang with the young ones, right? Uh, what about you? What do you got for the next story? Well, in, in the... In the category of EMTs behaving badly, there's an uh, Oklahoma paramedic and instructor charged with drug trafficking. He and another man were found with 12 grams of meth and a couple grams of coke on a uh, traffic stop in Colorado. Yeah, I saw this. Brian Coates, former assistant director of EMS for Atoka County, a part-time EMT, and instructor of EMS at Kiyomichi. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Kiyomichi Technology Center was found with 12 grams of meth and a couple grams of coke. And he allegedly told police, I've never seen anything like that. Well, of course you did. 
Well, that's not mine. I've never seen that. Uh, some dude put it on him, apparently. Coates was driving, and passenger were pulled over when, when an officer noticed something was blocking the last letter of the license plate on their vehicle. Coates told him it was a LED light that he uses because he's a paramedic. But uh, in the uh, uh, in the canine search, dog alerted on the vehicle, and boom, you uh, found him. So um, yeah, them dogs, not are, a, not them a dogs are crazy, man. They they can they can find that stuff. You know, one of the things I was watching on the one of the military uh, channels, they were talking about they're using the dogs in the war, which I think is pretty amazing, mm-hmm. and, and the way that they're training these dogs and the things that they're able to do. But one of the best definitions the the guy talked about how a dog's sense of smell is is that when we walk into a house we Mm -hmm. smell that there's stew cooking when they walk into a house they smell the carrots the potatoes the onions the broth Mm -hmm. and that's pretty that's pretty uh uh, not and not just that but the you know the different ages of the carrots and 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 how old the uh, really that to that depth they they have extremely sensitive sense of smell was this um, part of the thing you would do with the dogs when you were training with did you train them on scent or did you train them on oh yeah yeah when, when you, you know when you train hunting dogs scent is a huge part of it uh, scent and, and eyesight uh but yeah any hunting dog has to use his nose effectively and, and they can smell like you would not believe but uh one of the things we forget is they can only smell 50 percent of the time um they can only smell half the time why uh, is that and, when they're inhaling, Chris. <laughs> really? <laughs> they have to be breathing. You're no, t- no, but I mean, we, we do that. Dude, we, I mean. We train, uh, you know, you've got some, some high-powered labs that run like greyhounds. Right. And, and if they have to be, if they happen to be exhaling when they pass the bird, they may not wind it at all and miss it by just a few feet in, in heavy cover. They, they have to be breathing in to smell it. Yeah, um, I thought you were saying that, like, they'll breathe and they'll catch it and then the next time they breathe they won't so nice. well, no they just they can only smell 50 percent of the time they have to be breathing in you know okay. the, that one half of the respiratory cycle open your mouth and start foot right yeah, do i need to do i need to bring you back to uh basic can uh, we do an anatomy 101 on how the respiratory yeah. system works but well um, kelly i mean i gotta tell you i mean what we think about you know emts and paramedics mm-hmm. uh, behaving badly you and I have said it on the on the show a lot of times, man. I mean, it's not yeah. the if, but it's the when, and uh, you know no. we're constantly hearing about this. I, I got a yep. kick. I got a tickle out of the guy who turned twenty one and decided to drink and get drunk mm-hmm. and steal the ambulance on his twenty first birthday. How, how's that for happy birthday? That's uh, that's uh, you know uh, stupidity knows no limits apparently, and and uh, uh, there are a few things as immature as a legally adult male. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. I, I know this because I have been a legally adult male, and you probably would agree with me. There are a few things as as, as dumb as a 21-year-old uh, male human being. Um, it's another 10 or 15 years before they have good sense. Right. Um, they need to teach us that in high school instead of yeah, teaching yeah, us algebra. And you stuff. know, and, and, and it's... To, to hear us talk, you'd think that we there are more EMTs doing this than than uh, in other segments of society. But I think EMS just is, you know, we're we're a microcosm of society in general, and this kind of thing goes on outside EMS. Uh, we just report about it because, uh, you know, it's our duty to call out bad behavior in our, in our profession and, and police our own. Um, and uh, whenever some EMT screws up, we need to, to highlight it and, and condemn it uh, in the same way that when some EMT EMT does the right thing and 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 uh, is a credit to our profession. We shine a spotlight on them as well. Yeah, I got to agree. Um, 
we got our last little story. All right, let's uh, go. What is there's it? some new resources out here, new ambulance safety resources from the Department of Homeland Security, Science and Technology Director. Their goal is to reduce the injury and fatality rate of EMS personnel, which statistics say is about three times greater than average in any other occupation. And they've got a couple of publications out. The Ambulance Patient Compartment Human Factors Design Book. Uh, which recommends uh, improved physical design standards and ergonomics in ambulance modules, and the research study of ambulance operations and best practice considerations for EMS personnel addressing operational procedures and uh, and practices. It's a couple of couple of resources that agencies can utilize to with an eye toward modifying their practices and when they spec new ambulances, uh, maybe how to purchase a safer ambulance for their for their agency in the future. Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we don't do, man. Problems. Yeah, we don't. We don't. And, and, you know, you and I talk about it all the time on the show. We really need to start rethinking how we approach response and, and, and start to curtail some of these lights and sirens responses and look with a critical eye as to what really does need lights and siren transport. And right. if, it doesn't, if it doesn't meet a very strict set of criteria, just don't do it. It's, it's dangerous. We, we, should put that into the, uh, we should put that into the volunteer curriculum when we sit down to write that. Yeah. Yeah, we should. And and in our recruitment efforts, we need to, you know, that needs to be one of the screening questions. Do you want to drive an ambulance with lights and sirens? That's right. Uh, yes? Okay. You're, you're out. You're, you're, you're out. All right, man. Well, <laughs> I got to tell you, I mean, we really went through uh, almost 30 minutes of not talking about much, but uh, I think it was a good little show, and uh, yeah. I think it's about that time to make that transition. So, as always, yes. I am going to bow to you and give us the closing and get us up on out of here. I like when you bow to me, Sevillero. Really, oh, really? You know what? It's a natural position for you, and I think you should adopt it more often. Nice, <laughs> nice attitude. Nice attitude. Guys, we appreciate you tuning in to Inside EMS. And I, as always, we want to know your questions, concerns, and comments. So email us at the show at ems1.com and, and contribute one of those questions that we can answer every week. And for myself and co host Chris Sevillero, I'm Kelly Grayson, and we'll catch you guys next week.